welcome to another episode of Soul Care with me, Angie Fatal. Thank you for joining today and giving me a listen. If you're new, if you've been here from the beginning, or if you just, you know, listen when you have time, I am very glad that you're here today listening because I have some things to say that I think are important. One of the ways I want to switch gears a little bit today is I want to remember to say some things that I usually forget to say before I start my podcast. One of those things is to remind you of my pronouns. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And the reason I think it's important is because often in our relationships with other people, in meeting somebody, we forget to ask what their pronouns, what pronouns they prefer. And I think it is really important to remember that because what that does then is it puts all of the pressure on the person and also, you know, the spotlight to then say, hey, um, those aren't my pronouns. Or if we're people that just refuse to do that, that's not acceptable. Yes, it is uncomfortable to switch gears and to try and remember something that you're not used to remembering. Our discomfort is a very small price to pay to do the right thing and to remember to talk to people in a way that they prefer that we talk to them. So I go by she, her, hers. I also can go by them. Um, I'm, I'm really open to either. The other thing that I, I also want to reflect on and to acknowledge that I feel like I have done a piss poor job up until this point of remembering to do is to acknowledge the land that my house is on. And again, if you're not in the United States, maybe you're not familiar with our history, but our history is one of genocide and taking. And we took, and maybe our history reflects that they willingly gave it after, you know, us trying to wipe out the indigenous people that lived here, but that isn't true. It is unceded territory. And what unceded means is it was not willingly given. And so the land that I am living on, the land that my house is on, is not my land. It belongs to somebody else. But I live here because that's what our history in America has done. So I want to first say that I'm on unceded land. And then I want to acknowledge the tribes that were here because this is their land. What we now call Portland, Oregon and Multnomah County were the traditional lands of the Multnomah, Kathlamet, Clackamas, Cowlitz Bands of Chinook, Tualatin, Kalapuya, Malala, and many other tribes. They made their homes here along the Columbia River. Today, people from those bands have become part of the Confederated Tribes of the Grand Ron, the Confederated Tribes of the Silits, probably saying that wrong, 
as well as the Chinook Nation and the Calais Nation in Washington. So that's what it means to do a land acknowledgement, and I will get better and quicker at saying it, but I am going to work really hard to undo the bad record that I have so far of not remembering to do that before every episode because it's important. And it's kind of also setting a precedent to remind myself every time I do this podcast that where I'm at in Portland, Oregon is not mine. And I think probably everywhere we all are at is not really ours. And maybe that helps us, if we reflect on it, maybe it helps us become part of a bigger community part of a more intentional community to make something that is not, this is my, to reiterate to ourselves that nothing is actually ours. We are borrowers of everything that we have. And when we stay in an attitude of borrowing or, you know, I'm just here for the time that I've been given. I mean, maybe it makes us more fluid, more intentional in our relationships, less rigid in holding on to the things that we have. So those are some some things that I wanted to say and acknowledge before I get started in today's podcast. Because I got a lot of a lot of things that I want to talk about today. Some of them are uncomfortable. Um, I probably won't get it all right. And so if I get something wrong and you are a person of color or you're somebody that I have a relationship with and have been working towards anti-racism with and I miss it, I gladly welcome um, correction or you pulling me aside and saying, hey, you didn't get that right. Because I want to learn. And I want to do better. And, you know, this podcast is, for the most part, about spirituality and people working change in their world for good. And I, I try as a person to not live dualistically are separate inside myself. And I'm sure there are a thousand ways that I actually separate things out. But for the most part, my spirituality is tied up in the anti-racist work that I do. And the anti-racist work that I do is tied up in my spirituality. They're all tied together. My archery, spiritual direction, it's all the same thing. I'm not separating myself out into all these little compartments and going, okay, this is my work over here. But how dare anybody know that, you know, I have socialist leanings. And what I mean by that, anybody that got a little bit afraid when I said that is, I think everybody deserves to have a house, a home, food on their table, access to mental health, access to, uh, you know, medicine, access to a decent, good life. That's what socialism is to me. 
And whatever way we need to work to get there, I'm on board because the way things are going is really stacked up against people. And I have privilege that I know that I have. And that privilege also has not always meant that I had access to a doctor or access to a dentist or the money to pay for it. So I do know what it's like to not have the money to pay for groceries, not really know where your mortgage payment is coming from, you know, not know if I was going to be able to buy my kids school clothes or shoes. I know that feeling and it is a shitty feeling. And I guess when you feel something that makes you feel that vulnerable on a regular basis, I would say that most of us don't want anybody else to have to feel that way because it sucks. And I think it's been made even more visible and apparent and I'm sure also felt in ways that are a thousand times worse than already how terrible they were during this pandemic and the situation that we're in, at least in the United States, and people's lack of access to the things that they need. And also, you know, the basic rights of black and brown Americans to live in the world in their bodies in peace and to not be targeted and to have the same rights and access as anybody else without even us having to think about it. So all of that stuff has had more and more attention brought to it because of the catalyst of George Floyd's death and how it became a lightning rod in this country and around the world and Breonna Taylor. And there's so many other people and there's so many people before George Floyd that died at the hands of the cops. So we're in, there's a, there's a line that um, is from Lord of the Rings that goes something like, I feel like butter scraped over, scraped thinly over too much bread, something like that. But you know that image of like, you're trying to spread that butter out to the very corners of your toast so you get all the deliciousness of butter and there's just not enough. And I think people are very frayed at the edges. There's a lot of tension there was before this in the pandemic. So there's so many things buffering us. And that leads me to what I want to talk about today. And I, I want to say a few things before I get into what I want to talk about today. What I'm going to talk about today is the protests that are happening in downtown Portland, because I'm sure you've seen them on the news. I've been down there now, I think, six times um, over the last week and a half. I did a march somewhere else in that time, too. So I've been involved almost seven days straight. I had one day where I couldn't find a partner to go down there with me. And, I, and you absolutely should not protest or march 
without at least one other person who has your back. So this, this conversation that I want to have today is born out of that. It's born out of a conversation that I had with a friend of mine after I posted something about the protest on Instagram who said, hey, can I talk to you about your experience? And so I had a telephone call with her and she asked some amazing questions about how it was down there and how did I feel and what was my emotional state during and after. I mean, amazing questions, things that I hadn't even really thought about. And then she said to me, I really think you should do a podcast about this because I think people need to know what it's like down there and what your experience has been and what the atmosphere is like, because people just don't know. And I was very hesitant because I am a white lady who's going to be 50. Yes, I'm not somebody that hasn't been involved in marches and protests, you know, since high school. But I definitely don't want to come across as an expert because I am not seven times downtown, six times probably actually. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, Does not make me an expert by any stretch of the imagination. And it does grieve me when I see so often that you know, white people get on board something that's a march or a movement, um, like say her name, and then co-opt it. And then it becomes about what white people think and about what white people feel and how white people are doing it and how white people do it the right way. That is not what I'm going to be talking about today. We should feel grief when we see what we see on television, on the news cycles, because human beings are being targeted, tear gassed, rubber bulleted, flash banged, pepper sprayed. And that should make us so angry that we have to do something. If we are not moved because somebody's skin is brown or they're not doing it the way that we think that they should do it, we who, a lot of people have opinions that never even protest, which totally pisses me off. It's like, don't have an opinion unless you actually have put your body out there and experienced what it's like. But we do have a problem of not seeing the humanity of others. And if you have that in you, that is a human thing that is based in white supremacy, and you can feel shame about it. But again, I've talked about this in previous podcasts, shame does nothing but leave us frozen. And what the world does not need more of right now is more frozen people feeling so shitty about their whiteness and what they're not doing, the world needs people to go, okay, I see this thing in me and I don't like it. Now, what am I going to do about it? I'm going to go educate myself. I'm going to buy the books. I'm going to listen to the podcast by black and brown people that are doing the labor 
I'm going to give my money. I'm going to give my body if I can. I'm going to drive my car in a parade, whatever way that you can show up, but do the work. That little, whatever that pang is in you should be the, oh, pay attention. If you have a, that thing in you that's like, oh, I don't like that she talked that way. I don't like that she used profanity. I don't like that she screamed at the crowd. I don't like that she said, F the cops. I don't like that she told Trump to go die or he or whatever. And that is offensive to you, but black and brown bodies being pummeled by the cops and dying is not. That is your reflective piece. And we have to do the reflection. That is the bare minimum of what, of what we need to do as a people. Because we need to do something. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. I want to acknowledge my friend Tiffany, who had the guts to ask me if she could talk about it and all the complexities of that and encouraged me to do this podcast today on this subject. And again, if you are listening and you are a person of color and I don't get it right, please, if you have the energy, tell me that I didn't get it right and I will work to change that. If you are somebody that knows me and has a relationship with me and has done the anti-racism work with me and I didn't get it right, I also welcome you to tell me how I didn't get it right. Does that feel good? Absolutely not. Nobody likes to be told they didn't get it right. But if we don't start acknowledging when we don't get it right and we're to change it, we're just repeating the pattern that we've always repeated, and that's insanity. So buckle up. Hopefully you have the stamina and the courage to listen to this with me um, because we need you. We need you to show up in any way that you can show up if you haven't shown up yet. So thank you. And here we go. The best way that I thought kind of to give you all a picture of how I ended up down at the protests and how I ended up deciding to do this episode was I go down with a specific friend of mine who is a medic and has done the medic training. I'm going to call that friend T. We had gone down. When I go down with her, I usually do whatever she's doing. We stick together because staying together in twos, like I said earlier, is the best way to protect each other. Because if you think the police and the feds are not going to do anything to you, you're wrong. So you do have to go with another person. T and I go down. They get their stuff that they're going to pass out in the crowd. We spend our time passing out eye wash that if you get pepper sprayed or tear gassed. And, pass, and passing out um, pepper spray wipes, which if pepper spray gets on your skin, it stings really bad. So it's a wipe that 
they the medics make and then you know you can have a ziploc baggie of that and if you get pepper sprayed you can wipe it off your skin and i really like having a job it fits in my personality i like to have something to do when i'm down there that means that i could be helping somebody if they get stuck sticking with my friend to pull people out of the crowd so that's what that's what i've been doing with them We've also done it at other protests right after Trump got elected, because this is not new. I'm guessing it's not new in other cities, but Portland has a very, very terrible record with its police tear gassing and pepper spraying its own citizens for marching peacefully. I've seen it more than one time before the thing that we're in even started. And I've rinsed out people's eyes right after Trump got elected. It was a family march through downtown Portland, grannies, grandpas, little children, pregnant women, you know, all kind of chanting and singing. It was led by a Native American woman who had, um, I think it was, she was either saging or she had sweet grass, but just beautiful. All these people from all over, you know, every walk of life in Portland and the cops didn't like it. And they started tear gassing people. And that was my first experience with what I think at the time was a flash bomb and it hit somebody and there was no physical damage that I could see, but the emotional damage and the fear afterwards was palpable. So, so now we are here and we are saying no more, no more black and brown people getting targeted and destroyed by the police. No more of our hard earned taxpayer dollars going to fund that machine that then turns on us and uses weapons that were banned in World War II. We're saying no more. And frankly, the people in power don't like it. So that leads me to where I am right now and what happened. So I have another friend, we'll call them M, who really wanted to go downtown, but they were afraid. And that's a good feeling to have because there's so many factors at play. There's trauma at play, there's not being good in crowds, there's, you know, having knee problems or feet problems or any kind of like physical ailments or injuries that kind of hinder your ability to move fast or trust your own body in that kind of environment that would give people real pause to want to go down there. So together, Em and I came up with a plan where I would go down with her and we would get the lay of the land and see what they were able to participate in, how they would feel in the crowd. You can stand back from a crowd. I think when I went down there on Friday night, last Friday, I mean, I'm terrible at numbers, but there were at least 4,000 people, I'm guessing, that were down there. And still, 
there was room to be back away from the crowd to get the space that you needed and the crowd is very aware of each other and protecting and keeping each other safe which which was and is amazing to watch we arrived we had planned ahead to meet my friend t who's also m's friend and do some medic distribution again of the eye flush and the tear gas wipes and a pamphlet that teaches you about chemical weapons because that is what they're using chemical weapons on their own people you name it they're using it and um it's scary and violent so we met our friend walked down together we had bike helmets on to protect our heads from the feds and the cops throwing the um i think it's i think it's uh tear gas canisters but i'm not totally sure again like i've said i'm not an expert we had our bike helmets we had goggles that fit over my glasses because you also can't wear glasses i mean you you can't wear contacts because the tear gas and the pepper spray will stick to your contacts and make the whole experience considerably worse and it's already pretty pretty terrible so picture this i got a bike helmet on i've got goggles i've got my normal mask for the pandemic and then i've brought because i'm an indoor house painter by trade i've got a ventilator in case i need it for the tear gas we had you know it's over 100 degree weather here we had had to have full pants on tennis shoes long sleeve shirt shirt if you could handle it but at least short sleeve and then bring bring a long sleeve shirt with you in case stuff got really bad and you had time to put it on. So I don't normally wear that stuff in my everyday life. Not even when I'm riding my bike do I also have goggles on, a ventilator. I've got a backpack with me that has um, big band-aids, an ice pack, eye flush, those wipes for your skin, extra water for me to drink. And um, that's not normal, everybody. That is not a normal way to have to protest, at least in this country. But then look at our history, and it probably is. You just have to look at um, the civil rights movement and know that it is. So we were down there we're getting the lay of the land i've communicated with my friend that at any point if they feel unsafe we'll leave or if their anxiety is peaked or they're just physically getting too tired we'll leave they just have to say the word and so we had a plan and i think it's really good to have a plan if you're going to go down there and show up to remember that you can stay in the way back of where it sits where the protest sits is right in front of, front of our federal building and between our federal building and our courthouse are 
two blocks that they that we call the park blocks. So there are two blocks that have grass, toilets that are supposed to be for homeless people, but they never are unlocked. Um, and there's some statues. So it's two full blocks with a road in the middle of grassy area. And then everybody is pretty much on the road in front of the federal building lined up in that two block radius and are chanting. There's activists giving speeches. There's most of the activists are thanking the white allies and talking about how grateful they are. They're also saying specific things about defunding the police and where that money should go and that we're not going to stop protesting until that money goes to mental health and changes in our city that, you know, build up and scaffold so much that there's nothing for people. You know, there's housing here is ridiculous. The cost of housing here is ridiculous. So there's a housing shortage on top of massive gentrification, on top of jobs that you can't make a living wage at that would enable you to ever be able to afford a house. And I know that that is not unique to Portland, but all of these things could be made better if there were social things in place, if there was mental health that actually was equipped to serve the community, if there was access to food, access to good shelter, you know, all of that stuff that we need um, that is not there, that if you took some of the money away from the monolith of the police could go to those things that communities need to survive and thrive. So it's not stopping. So I, I want to paint a picture of we get out of our cars, we walk three blocks down to where everybody's at. There is a sense of camaraderie. There are, to my left in the park blocks, there's all of these tents with riot ribs serving anybody down there protesting or living outside, giving them free food. There's clothing for anybody that needs clothing. Last night I saw somebody giving a haircut that knew what they were doing actually had a barber chair down there. There's people going through the crowd with water, with um, snacks. I mean, nobody is going without water and that's pretty cool because it's really hot down there. Pretty much every single person that I saw was wearing a mask for protection against COVID-19. And one of the things that the speakers are really trying to communicate is um, when stuff goes down and the thing that's a little bit tricky about going down there and not getting the lay of the land is every night is different. I went on Thursday night with, I think I went, I went at one point with my friend T and did some work. And then I think I waited a couple days and then I went with to get the lay of the land with my friend M 
And that night was not super crowded, probably a thousand people down there. I mean, they're all really peaceful um, and people looking out for each other. And then I went another night with my friend and old neighbor who's a part of the wall of moms and it was a completely different story and i'll talk about that in a little bit but if you can kind of realize that every night is different the crowd is going to be different but also the crowd is peaceful yes there are always people in the crowd that don't really know you know, there are people with mental illnesses that are being triggered. There are, there's lots of stuff going on. But I would say that 90% of the crowd is focused and knows what they're doing. And they're communicating from the front some different things that are, that's good to keep in mind. And one of the things they're communicating is when they snatch, we snatch back. When they snatch, we snatch back. And what that means is it is not legal for the feds to drive around our city in unmarked vans and pull us into the vans and arrest us. That's not, that's not legal. So if you see them doing it, snatch that person back, which I thought was amazing. I would have had no idea. I would have probably just gone with it. And they've, you know... Yes, they've been tear gassing and batoning people. And when they grabbed one of the moms, they felt her up. So not only is she getting gassed, you know, probably batoned, she gets pulled into an unmarked vehicle with people that are, aren't identifying themselves, their names, their badge numbers, nothing. And she got felt up. So she, she got... I mean, I don't, I, I, it's, I guess it's a form of rape. And, um, I mean, it's just trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. And you have to know that going down there. You have to know, you just have to know that you're probably not going to be able to walk away not changed. And you have to be prepared for that. And one of the things that I did before I went the first time is I spent some time in my backyard just doing that rage journaling and kind of, you know, also just saying how angry I was that we are even in a place where we have to do this or anybody. I'm not talking about white people. I'm just talking about anybody having to do this. And also just grieving the trauma that people are going to carry from this that already carries so much trauma. There are activists that have been out there every single night since this started. And I think they're on 63 or 64 nights now, every night, probably until one, two in the morning, starting at, you know, seven 30 or eight, and going till 1.30 in the morning with all of that violence and stress and just the nature of dehumanizing people that 
these federal, I don't even want to call them officers because that feels like it should have some distinction and it doesn't, just are, you know, treating people as if they are not even human. And I saw it. So that's just something to be prepared for. Not only the physical armor that you're putting on, you can go down there without a ventilator because they're almost impossible to find right now. Um, I would not recommend going down there without goggles because um, tear gas really hurts your eyes. Or I also wouldn't recommend going down there without a bike helmet or a hard hat or something. And, you know, you might be surprised you, my, my friend and neighbor, their husband found two ventilators in the basement that they had. And so she was able to give one to a friend and keep one for herself. So I also want to talk about a little bit about going with another person that wasn't with, you know, my normal group. I had decided that I was going to do this podcast ever after talking to my friend. And I thought, you know, I don't have enough experience at this point. I'm going to try to go five days in a row at least. And, you know, and um, see how I feel the fatigue that I feel physically, emotionally, spiritually, um, you know, and then I feel like I'll better be able to speak to what is happening. So my neighbor asked me to go and she had been going since the beginning of Wall of Moms. And on the first night there were 20 moms and a smattering of people. And then on the second night, maybe it was 70 people. And then she took a couple days off because she's also been working full time. And then she asked if I wanted to go with her. So in the span of two nights, we went together and there were probably 4,000 people. And the atmosphere, even though, you know, there is pain and we're looking at this art installation of every life that has been lost at the hands of the police, I think also trans women that have been targeted by violence and died were a part of this art installation. I couldn't even get near the art installation. That's how many people were. And there were speakers and there was music and people were smiling at each other and they had their signs and we were chanting and we walked from there. I think it's three blocks, four blocks. And it took us like 45 minutes. That's how many people were there. And just the spirit of, I'm trying to illustrate. It's like this, we are in this traumatic event together, which is cathartic and catalyzing, while at the same time, it's scary and you're angry that anybody has to do this. So you can hold two things at the same time. And you probably will have to hold, even though I said at the beginning that I don't like to be dualistic in the way that I live my life, you kind of have to compartmentalize to kind of survive this situation we're in. We march together. I have a, I have a thing that I've learned doing the protesting that I have done that I never 
want to be in the center of the crowd. I, I always kind of stay in a march on the, you know, on the peripheral. And the reason I do that is one, you know, I am a survivor and I, and I like to know where the exits are. And I've done so much work with my friend that's the medic and the medics tend to stay on the outside of the crowd. So if something goes down, they don't get hit with the tear gas and they can go in and pull people out and administer, you know, medicine, medic stuff, the, the eyewash, you know, if anybody's bleeding, they can tend to the wounds, that kind of thing. So that's kind of the way that I do every March that I'm at. And there was a point when we were at the intersection where we would turn in front of the federal building where we got stuck there. Probably it felt like 15 minutes. Maybe it was only like 10 and there was a drum circle and people were dancing. And there was this one moment too, where we were marching up there and across the road was a walking bridge and two black female security guards were on the walking bridge, you know, all glassed in. So they, you know, we couldn't hear what they were saying and they were just cheering. I can't imagine what it would have been like to see that river or ocean of people just all chanting black lives matter feds out you know say his name george floyd say her name brianna taylor with all you know all the gusto that they could get so when we got to that intersection and stayed there so long i could feel my anxiety escalate and i said to my friend I don't like being in the middle like this. Could we go to the fringes? And at about that same time, they had a friend that was saying the same thing, like, hey, let's see. And then once we got out of that intersection, we realized there was plenty of space to move around. It just seemed like um, everything got, you know, funneled into that one area. So we went back again in the park blocks that I talked about. We you know, milled around, kind of watched, participated in listening to what the speakers were saying and, you know, chanting. And I have this thing that I do. And, and I think it's, again, just coming from trauma where I'm always on alert. And I've learned that, um, that doesn't always have to be like a high rev in my body. So I, I wouldn't necessarily call it, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a word for it where you're just, your adrenaline's just pumping. I, but I do have a tendency to scan the crowd, look for people in danger, also look for predators. Um, I've spent my life looking for predators uh, so that I can protect other people and protect myself. And so that's what I do when I get in a crowd. Um, so if you notice that you're doing that, you know, if your body is in a high rev tension, my recommendation is to step back and do some breathing. Re, you know, reconnect with yourself. And if you feel like you can, you can go back into the crowd and support in that way, or you can stay back because you are still supporting even if you aren't in the throes of the crowd.
your body is there and you're still supporting. And it is important to take care of yourself because if you take care of yourself, then hopefully the medics don't have to take care of you and they can focus on somebody maybe that get that gets seriously injured because that has happened. If you've been watching the news, there's a man named Donovan that I believe his hands were up and he was trying to talk to the feds and they shot him in the head with a rubber bullet and he almost died. And that is a common occurrence down there. That's why people have helmets on and that's why people have shields on. So if it freaks you out to see people with shields or umbrellas, the umbrellas are to keep the tear gas away from them. The shields are to also kind of, it blocks the tear gas, it blocks the rubber bullets and the canisters that are flying at the rest of the crowd. So they basically are up in front near the fence that the feds have erected to protect the people protesting. It is beautiful to watch not only the moms, but all these different people. I mean, you've got punks and crusty punks and anarchists and grannies and black moms and white moms and dads with leaf blowers blowing the tear gas back at the feds. And if you're worried about the feds, they have the most fancy gear you could possibly have. None of that tear gas is getting under their helmets. Nothing is going to hurt them. They have, you know, bulletproof vests. They have it all. So you don't need to worry about them if that crossed your mind. You know, but the moms are down there in t-shirts, not just the moms. Most of the people are down there in t-shirts and jeans and just locking arms, hoping that they can survive the onslaught that's coming at them to keep the black and brown protesters safe. The other thing that I learned from watching the speakers, they they kept reiterating why they were there. And one of the things that they kept saying is if you see somebody alone, especially a person of color, watch out for them, stand near them. Because as we've seen at different protests since this has started, there have already been people that have lost their lives because they were alone or, you know, something that probably a buddy would not have prevented as a truck going through the crowd. There are scary things happening down there. I was down there another night with my medic friend T and we had just been down in the crowd passing out the, you know, the, the stuff, the supplies that we're passing out. Oh, one of the other things is um, earplugs to help with the flashbangs that are going off because they are very loud and it's pretty scary to hear them. So if you have a noise thing, it's really a good idea to stand way back deep in the park so that you you don't have to hear it as loudly because it is it is intense. It's like an M80, probably louder than an M80. Um, but we had decided to go back to, the medics have an ambulance now, 
And we had decided to walk back to the ambulance to be able to lift our masks up to drink some water. And when we were standing there, a guy in a truck drove through the crowd. Luckily, no one was hurt. The crowd is so on alert. They have cars on either end of the street. They have cars in the middle. Wherever there's a road that could enter into that area, they have cars blocking the road. So somehow the truck got through. Nobody was hurt. Everybody was able to move out of the way fast enough. And his aim was to kill people. Because now people are using trucks as weapons to murder people because we've seen it. You know, we saw it in Charlottesville. We saw it in Seattle. Um, I was, I've seen it at a protest right after Trump was elected and luckily nobody got killed. But we were just, we had literally just turned around from the ambulance and the truck went right by us and it had covered over its license plate. And I saw the guy's face as it was an old, older white guy. And his intent was to kill people. That would be the only reason why you would speed through an intersection of protesters. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. That's the lay of the land. It's the equipment. It's the beautiful people that are down there. I mean, I didn't mention there's a whole group of clergy from every spiritual group. There are Anglicans and Catholics and Jews and um, Universalists and, you know, I think I think pagans, too, that are down there supporting. There's the ACLU. There's the press. There are um, lawyers. My friend went down there with her group of lawyer friends, and they are su supplying witness and video and watching, not to mention the amazing groups of different medics that are down there serving people and they have been attacked and every single one of those groups has been attacked. Switching gears. My friend asked me how I felt emotionally. And like I said about this kind of the separating yourself in a moment like that, It's, it's almost like the human, our human nature doesn't want to see what it's seeing. And so you're down experiencing it. And at the same time, your body or your spirit or emotional self, I don't even know what I would call it. Maybe it's all of those things is trying to repel itself from it. So the scariest I felt was in the center of that march because after that march we walked all the way down to the end of a block and the speaker said from the front gear up and that's the moment where we're like oh no we're trying to put all the stuff on and i gotta say that was pretty scary for me because i could see the tear gas billowing and the flashbangs going off, and I couldn't get my um, 
my ventilator on. I had it on, but it's it's one of those ones that wraps over your head and I had my helmet on and I'm trying to take my mask against COVID off so I can keep my ventilator on and my goggles aren't working and I got everything on and then my goggles still weren't being held to my face and the tear gas is in the air and it's getting under my mask and I'm trying to, I'm kind of panicking because I'm trying to figure out how to get my helmet off, what's going on with my goggles. But I want to say, because my friend asked me these questions and I'm reflecting on it with you, there was a calm that came over me. And I took my helmet off and I got my thing over my head and I got everything on and secured. And it's just, you know, it's just the goggles that you would wear in science class. They're nothing special. The stuff's still getting in there. And I watched people that were being gassed slowly back away because they've been taught not to run because when you run, then you trample people and then you have more injuries. So everybody who is undergoing this intense stress is slowly moving back. So then the medics can move in and do what they need to do and then moving back into the fray, just back into where it was just tear gassed and the moms and the dads and the queer people holding that front line are don't even move. So if you think about courage, that is some intense courage to just stand there and be pummeled. And so my friend and I moved back a little bit to kind of get our bearings and I had extra goggles and I ran into this couple that didn't have any goggles and, the guy did the gentlemanly thing and said, no, give them to her. And so, you know, I just happened to bring them down with me because I had them. And then we kind of, we, my friend and I moved back in a little bit closer and um, kind of got the lay of the land and stayed for probably another 30 minutes. And then the crowd was kind of dispersing everywhere. And I overheard this man say, uh, this is more tear gas than I've ever seen them do down here. And it was like a fog of tear gas that went on and on and flashbangs and I'm sure rubber bullets, but I wasn't in the line of fire of rubber bullets. And we had kind of decided earlier that we would try to leave by 1130. So we walked back on the very far end of the park and went around behind and all of a sudden I can see a line of people. It looks like they've just been thrown against the brick wall of the building because they are, have all been tear gassed or pepper sprayed. And I'm watching all of these people just struggle to catch their breath and their eyes are streaming with water and they're coughing and all of a sudden I remember that I have one bottle of eye, eye wash, eye flush. And something in me goes into autopilot and I just, I go to my friend, I go, I, I got eye wash, I gotta do it. And so as I go along the crowd of, of the wall, I'm like, anybody need eye wash? And I'm eye washing people. And when you eye wash people, the way I was trained is you shake it, you squirt it into their eyes, that, you know, if it's the right eye, they lean to the right so it drains out. And if it's the left, you squirt it into the, you know, the 
like the very tip of your eye closest to your nose and then it drains out and tell them to blink their eyes as much as possible. And I did three or four people as I walked back to our car. And one of the things that I realized in hindsight, we don't have very many moments in our lives where we see what we're made of. And I think what this reveals is people are made of much stronger resilient stuff than they think that they are I'm not just talking about me um because i did you know yes i did eye wash but people are doing that every night i mean i'm not anything special i just i was shocked that i remembered that i had that one bottle left and i was able to do it and i had the frame of mind to do it and i wasn't scared and i think that's an important takeaway is to remember that we can do a lot more than we think that we can do. When I get home, I, after being gassed on Saturday night, I had to go to my backyard, take off my shoes, leave all my supplies, my helmet, my ventilator, my goggles, my backpack, everything on outside. I had to step in my door I would have stripped outside, but we have neighbors that were outside and could see me. But and then I had to come in my house right outside the back door, right inside the back door, strip off all of my clothes, put my clothes into a bag or anything you have to wrap them up. And then you immediately have to wash them separately from anything else in the washing machine. Shoes, bra, underwear, shirt, overalls, everything, socks. And I hung mine on the line the next day to let the sun hit them. That two or three nights, I have not had a decent night's sleep since I went down there, but there were two nights that I just had nightmares all night about protesting. Um, I also noticed that the next morning um, I was very short and fragile with my family. In fact, we watched a show that was happy and I sobbed the entire way through it. I'm angry. So if you're afraid of people's rage and anger, um, I don't know what to tell you because I don't know how I could not be enraged at the treatment of people. So I would like to say to you that I know how I'm feeling, but it's not over yet. I, it's not over. Uh, the feds are still there. They said they were going to leave last night. They did not leave. And what they mean by leaving is maybe a hundred of them will leave, go to another city. They're already in New York. They're in Seattle. They're coming to your city. If you think you're safe, you're not. You don't have to be breaking stuff and smashing windows. And I, I do want to speak to something about that because I keep hearing people use words like, well, they violated the, that property. And I don't believe that you can violate a building. A building is not a human being. A building doesn't have feelings. It doesn't have an emotion. It's a building. It's an inanimate object. And how dare we put 
the welfare of a building over human life. A human can be violated. That mom was violated by a federal agent when she was being illegally seized. She was violated. They, the person doing the violation wasn't violated. Nobody stepped on their rights. Buildings do not have feelings. I can't even believe I have to say that. And people keep saying, well, they're destroying property. If your life, if it's communicated to you over and over and over again that your life has no value, that you're not seen as human, then a little property damage is nothing compared to generations, 400 and some generations of that, years of that, 400 and some years of you being often less than second-class citizens. So if you are not enraged, then you are not paying attention. And I understand that the news has not been covering it well. It keeps getting lost in the media and they're portraying people down there like they're violent. They're not. I have been down there now like seven times and I have witnessed no violence. I've witnessed people having psychotic episodes and struggling and then people moving them out of the crowd and talking them down because that's the difference. The people in the crowd know how to de-escalate or some of them do. And if, if they don't know how to de-escalate, they're finding somebody to de-escalate. The feds have no training in de-escalation. So they're attacking veterans. They're attacking people that are otherly able. They're attracting attacking grandmas and grandpas and the elderly and children because they don't care. And if you think I'm lying, then you really have not done your research. Because all you have to do is look at a Vice video, look at a video that maybe is slightly off mainstream news, and you'll see what's really happening. Yes, emotionally I am fatigued. I felt more tired I have felt more tired than I have in recent memory. It's like I ran a marathon on my period, <laughs> which women do all the time, but I'm not that woman. You know, there is no way to not feel fatigued. There is no way to not feel emotionally spent. And so it is so important that people take care of themselves because again, this is a long haul fight. Racial equality, racial justice is a long haul fight, unfortunately. Defunding organizations based in white supremacy is a long haul fight. But is a fight worth waging? And thinking about maybe the systems that you have in place to rejuvenate yourself, revitalize yourself, and how maybe you can spread the word that you have access to, you know, maybe, I don't know what you have access to. And I know we have limitations because of the pandemic that we're in, but what you have, if you can't show up physically, if you can only give money, give money. I mean, people need money. They need money to keep fighting. They need money to buy riot gear now, which is ridiculous that we have to buy that. They need money to feed people that are out there. They need, you know, money for the probably the most money that they need is now for lawyer fees. So please pay attention. 
you know, do what you can do. Not everybody needs to physically show up. And that's what I said to my friend. I was like, if you want to go, I'll go with you. We can do a scope out. You know, they have a compromised immune system. So it, it's their decision what they want to do. I, I'm not pressuring them. I don't think they need to be down there. But if they need to be down there because they feel like they need to be down there, then there are protocols that we can put in place to keep them safe. But do not be just a casual observer. Let your voice not get lost in silence and, and do good trouble. Do good trouble like John Lewis, the legendary civil rights leader, often was heard saying, it is important for your voice to be heard in any way possible that your voice can be heard. We cannot be silent. We should not have the luxury to be silent. If you have any questions about anything that I've said, I would love to be able to respond to them. Remember, I'm not an expert. There are people, again, that have been out there every single night since it started that have been putting their bodies and everything else on the front line. They're the experts. I just happen to have gone down there and I'm willing to talk to you about what I've seen. Um, please do the work. It's so important to do the work. I know that not everybody that listens to this is white. So this is not for you to, I'm not saying that you have to do the work. I'm saying white allies have got to do the work. Don't call yourself an ally if you haven't done the work, if you haven't read the books, if you haven't listened to the podcast, if you haven't read the articles, if you're not supporting black and brown people, if you're not following their lead, and if you aren't working to be anti-racist. But do the work. It, it has been a joy to talk to you. I know this is a tough subject. Um, I'm not going to pretend that it's not, because I think that that would be doing the subject a disservice. Also, I want to let everybody know that this is the last episode in season two. Please go back and check out the episodes from this season. I've talked to so many amazing, creative people, like doing extraordinary things. And if you haven't gotten to listen to them, then I'd love for you to go back and listen to them. Please like, share, subscribe, rate, review, do all the things, share it with some friends. I'm going to have a lot of really interesting people coming up um, in the next season. I already have lots of things planned that I'm really excited about. I'm not sure if I'll be gone a full month. Um, my son is coming into town. I haven't seen him in six months. And so I'm really excited about that. He's coming home for a visit for two weeks. And I'm going to spend every waking minute he will allow me to spend with him. <laughs> because I am a mom. And I cannot wait to see my son. So I will at least be off a month. Um, maybe two. If you have things that you want me to talk about, please um, send me a message through Instagram or Facebook or through here. There's a way that you can message me through the Anchor app or whatever 
wherever you're listening to this on Apple or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts, you can probably message me there too. But I do like interaction. I love hearing your questions or your comments or the things you've tried. Um, And I'd love to know what you'd like me to talk about in the next season. Because this thing is an interactive thing, even though it's it definitely feels one-sided when you're only hearing my voice or my guest voice. Also, really soon, I'm going to be on Angel's um, YouTube channel. Remember my guest from last week? So check that out. It's going to be live on August 3rd. I think 7 Pacific Standard Time and maybe 4 Eastern Time. Look up his channel on YouTube or his Facebook page and you'll find it. Remember, you can find me on my website, Angie Fatal. I am always taking clients. If you want to talk about spirituality or deconstruct your faith or just talk about how your activism connects to your spiritual life. I'd love to talk to you about that. You can find me pretty pretty much anywhere under Angie Fatal or Angie Fatal Soul Care. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with me or if you've just joined me for popping in. I never leave without saying, I want you to remember who you are. Remember who you are. Not who other people have said you are, but who you are in the core of your being that you are worth knowing, you are worth loving, you are worth being in this world. Take care, everybody. Stay safe.